We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rockpile Report podcast, everybody. I'm your host, uh, Drew Gear. And 24 hours ago, I didn't think that I would be doing a show tonight. I, I didn't think that I'd be here talking to all of you. Um, <laughs> so during my our last show, I made mention of the fact that my wife and I were expecting, and I got a lot of supportive emails and <laughs> Facebook messages and Twitter messages and and I very much appreciate all of that. And sometimes things change. And things happen. And life comes at you really quickly. It's, it's crazy to me because over the past few weeks, we've been talking so much about charity and about you know, looking out for people who need it. And you know, I just keep thinking back to Jim Kelly's speech. You never know when... You know, we talk constantly about trying to help other people who are just trying to get to their next day. And I guess you never really know when you're going to be the one who has to sit in that seat. When you're looking for something that's going to get you get you up and moving, get you moving forward. And I, I'm not, I guess I'm not saying this because I want pity or I want sympathy. I'm saying it because I want to. I, I want to genuinely thank each and every one of you who shows up every week to listen to this show. At my wife's urging, I'm here tonight doing this because she said it was going to be therapeutic for me and that it would help me. And I didn't believe her until I was halfway here. I was driving here in the truck and it it hit me. I. This is. <laughs> Hundreds of people show up every week just to hear the things that I think and say because it brings something to their day. It, it brings something, whether it's education, whether it's entertainment, whether it's information, whether it's just something to do to kill time in traffic. I do this and it means something to somebody else out there. That got me going. It's the only reason I'm here. I, <laughs> I'm going to be okay. She's going to be okay. Everything, everything's going to be fine. I mean, this is something that happens in life. I just want, I guess the reason I'm talking about it now is because I, A, need to just get it off my chest, and B, want you all to think, to know that I'm sincere when I say that I appreciate every single one of you who takes time out of your day to listen to this show. Because today, you, 
you did you did what Jim was talking about. You gave me a reason to to keep things moving in my own life. So thank you. And here, a toast on behalf of Chris and I. Thank you very much on behalf of the Rock Pal Report. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Go on. Everybody, slide left, slide left, slide left. Everybody's getting the call. Just slide it to the left here. A smell it overload here by Cleveland. Buffalo will have four blockers against the Browns, three rushers. And they are not going to get this right. They've got to get better up front. So, here comes Nate Orchard, number 44. He's going to come free on the play. Josh Allen is going to feel it. Buffalo is spending Deion Dawkins in the back on Michael Kendricks. Their eyes aren't in the right place. That's going to happen. Now, what does the quarterback do once Orchard comes free? How about protecting the ball? Now, he's 6'5", 240 pounds. Agility in the pocket. Climb the pocket. Keep yourself alive. Get your head up. Get your eyes up. Look into the end zone. Here comes Streeter on the back of the end zone here. And this is going to be Josh Allen's first NFL touchdown throw because he maneuvered in the pocket just fine. And the throw is drop dead to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was some non-bald guy named Brian Baldinger from NFL Network talking about Josh Allen. Yeah, the touchdown that he threw against Cleveland, amazing. My wife was out of town this past weekend, leaving me to my own devices during the Bills game. And Saturday, I was afflicted with what I believe to be the first of many Josh Allen-induced hangovers. It it was awful. I didn't feel that bad after my stag. Or after any of the Bills' recent primetime disasters. But folks, something atypical here is brewing in Buffalo. Yeah, and if you want to watch it, go to our Twitter handle, at Report. Scroll through our timeline, watch our post game because you obviously don't remember it. I remember nothing. I remember doing the halftime video that peaked at over a hundred active viewers. Optimism. Optimism from the bottom of my cold black football heart. And I don't like it. <laughs> Chris, hit us with this week's Bills News Update. <laughs> The Bills signed punter John Ryan. In my opinion, this move could cut two ways. John Ryan is a veteran punter, formerly of the Seahawks. By veteran, he's 36. (laughs) He is the oldest player on the team right now. He spent years playing with Steven Hauschka in Seattle, so the two of them are already familiar. Maybe Hauschka put in a good word. Who knows? The fact is, he was released after the Seahawks drafted a punter in the sixth round, meaning they have an investment in the kid, they're going to keep him around. So, 
this move could cut any one of a couple different ways. First and foremost, it could be that this move is in an effort to challenge and possibly replace current punter Colton Schmidt. I mean, every season for the last two or three years, the team has brought in some form of competition for Colton. Yeah, but none of them were a veteran. No. Or, as I'm inclined to believe, it could just be that they see Colton Schmidt as the starter and don't want him taking any unnecessary reps for the next two weeks. Maybe they don't want uh, to have happened to him what happened to Corey Carter. What's well, just it. You never know when something fluky like that's going to happen. And in that case, you could just be saying to yourself as a GM, look, I know that this is my guy, but I also know that I'm not settled on what I think of my coverage units. So because of that, I don't want to risk my week one starter, but I want to bring in a guy who I know can do his job effectively enough that it's going to allow me to properly evaluate my coverage units for the next two weeks before I have to make roster cuts. I mean, doesn't that make a little more sense than, hey, some guy off the street who's never kicked with our long snapper, never been on this roster, doesn't know the staff, he's going to suddenly come in and in two weeks supplant the starter? I don't, I don't think that'll happen. I can also see, you know, John Ryan getting, uh, getting punts in on Sunday and next Thursday, and he does relatively well that another team that don't like their punting situation, you know, will sign John Ryan after he gets released. I can see that. Now, I know Colton Schmidt's got to be sweating bullets out there somewhere or at least uneasily eating his dinner right now. Dude, relax. It's going to be fine. Okay. You are going to be here week one. I, 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 Chris, I would bet a lot of things on it. There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, to recap week two of the preseason football here for the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills won 19 Browns 17. <laughs> I know that preseason wins and losses don't mean a damn thing, but man, did it feel good to come out of, come out of Cleveland in front of I don't want to lose to Cleveland in the regular season and not even the preseason. I'm so glad we won that game. Oh my God, it doesn't matter, but man, does it matter. Stats of the game. Tyrod Taylor, 4 of 7 passing for 22 yards and no touchdowns. Nathan Peterman, 8 of 10, 113 yards, 1 touchdown, 1 sack. Josh Allen, 9 of 13, 60 yards, 1 touchdown, 1 sack. Browns, 164 yards rushing, 2 touchdowns, 5.1 yards per carry. Bills offensive line. Three sacks allowed, 3.4 yards per carry gained, and Jarvis Landry, zero catches on just one target and one fake tough guy hit. If I'm going to recap this game in terms of the Bills' performance, the place i got to start is the front seven. Last week, I noted that the Browns have way too much talent at running back, at quarterback. Just They have too many athletes that you can put behind the offensive line to average 1.5 yards per carry like they did against the Browns. 
And I also made note that with young players at linebacker and some new guys in the defensive line, it's hard to predict what we'll get from our guys every single week. This performance was one that you kind of hope isn't the standard. Carlos Hyde finished the game 64 yards. They, They all came on nine carries, Chris. But 42 of those and a touchdown came on his first four carries on the first drive. I mean, he averaged ten and a half per touch on the very first drive of the game. Dude, our our defensive line was an absolute sieve. And then it was it was a little bit. It got worse when Carlos Hyde came out. Duke Johnson got the second running backs touches, and he had twenty two yards on his own. That's 64 yards on one single drive you allowed. Yeah, we can't have that with Kyle Williams, Star Latulale, Dirty Harry, Harrison Phillips. <laughs> is that is that what you're calling it? Sure. Dirty, I like that. Dirty, Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry. <laughs> Dirty Adolphus. Harry. Jerry Dirty, Hughes. Dirty Harry, RoboCop. We're starting to accumulate some nicknames over here. I like it. Guys, I rewatched the game because... The night of the game kind of came off the rails for me, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But in rewatching the game, there was a lot of things on that first drive that made me just grind my teeth. I I, I could have taken a bite out of one of the pillows off my sofa. You would have gone upstairs to do that. (laughs) You don't have a sofa in the bar area. Oh, no, I rewatched it on uh, Monday night. Okay, so you rewatched it upstairs. Yeah, on Monday night when I'd had a chance to just kind of come out. Not surprising you and the dog chewing on their own pillows. (laughs) Duke Johnson got 18 yards of his 22 on a play where linebackers Milano and Edmonds ran directly into the back of the defensive tackles who are busy occupying blockers but completely lose the center, who just punches a hole through the middle of the defense, and there's nobody there to contain him. That's it. There's nothing but daylight. I mean, both of our linebackers are just sucked up in the wash and can't make a play. On Hyde's carries, I mean, it was a little bit of everything. You had one play where they pulled right guard and just completely sealed off a crease for him. You had another one where it was wide receiver motion and then just a runoff, a left tackle, and everyone bit on the wide receiver motion. They really did kind of mix up their play calling. And our front seven, it, it, it was a nightmare for them trying to adapt to it on that first drive. Edmonds, for all of his athleticism, I mean, I I just don't think he's he's thinking too much and he's not playing. And when you hear pundits say that on the radio, it's like, oh, okay, well, that makes... But when you watch a game and you understand how linebackers are supposed to be played, it's like he's relying so much on... He's relied so much on his athleticism that now he understands he's in the deep end of the pool. He just doesn't understand. Sometimes you just got to swim. It doesn't matter whether you think you can make it or not. You just have to swim. And the rest will come to you over time. Well, he did a really poor job of that this week. Milano, he had a hard time. I don't know if it's athletic limitations. I don't know what it is, but on that first drive, he could not sniff a football. He just couldn't get his nose in there anywhere to make a significant play. And if I could say it in the first half, Jordan Poyer didn't look good in the box at all. He took bad reads to get him to the football, and on one play, he just got stiff-armed to the ground. I mean, he didn't, I, Hyde put him down like a sick dog. 
It was just hard like, to watch. Yeah, like old Yeller. Just put him down into the turf. After that first drive, the starters came out, and they kind of they regained their composure. They narrowly avoided Tyrod scrambling for a first down. <laughs> he, he, the knee was down. They forced a punt. But that one drive was a nightmare. And I'm sure that they've all been raked over the coals in the film room by the coaches about it by this point. But that can't happen. It just can't happen again. They've invested too much in draft capital and free agent dollars up front for that kind of thing to happen. I mean, I thought that's what we brought Star Latule in to. You know, I thought that's I why vaguely he's remember him missing a sack on Tyrod. Oh, he did. He had Tyrod in his arms and just let him go. The Browns, throughout the course of the game, they'd go on to tack on another 100 yards and another touchdown on the ground over the course of the game. And I, I tried keeping tabs of where the leaks were coming from to see if there was a single weakness, and I just couldn't find one. It was like a hole with 10, bo- it was like a boat with 10 holes in it. You can't stop all of the bleeding. And I just, our second stringers played well, especially defensive end Eddie Yarbrough. I mean, he, when, when you want to talk about quarterback containment, I mean, we're on the topic of front seven. He contained the quarterback well. He got some pressures. He was in on some quarterback hits. He really, they shut down the Browns passing attack by just rushing their front four and dropping everyone into coverage. That's how they held Baker Mayfield in check. But that doesn't mean that I'm not still concerned. I mean, I thought the idea of bringing in bodies at middle linebacker and defensive tackle was that it was supposed to solidify the thing that almost sunk our season last year, which was not being able to stop the run. And yet, you just showed me a game against a group that has talented running backs and a revamped interior offensive line. And they, I'm not going to lie, they ate us alive on that first drive. And that's enough to scare the hell out of me. Because if you get two or three of those a game, you end up with what you got from the Saints game. I mean, Chris, that's what it comes down to. The margin for error is that slim in a real football game that if your starters go out there and get their asses handed to them to the tune of 64 yards rushing and a touchdown on a single drive, and that happens twice in a game, you probably lose that football game. You are quite irritated watching watching the ones as their second preseason game. I, I thought I thought literally you were going to throw yourself through the wall. I, and here's why. The Bills are going to face five running backs in the first eight weeks of the season who finished 2017 with at least 800 yards rushing. Three of them had seven or more touchdowns. This is absolutely something that this team has got to get under control because with the schedule laid out the way it is, we don't have many home games. The Bills were pretty good at home last year. What do we go, six of eight? How about you mean we don't have a lot of home games early? But that's my point. This season could already be in the gutter if they decide, hey, we're going to play these top-notch rushing attacks and also not play any rush defense. This season could be over before it even gets started if that facet of our defense doesn't get figured out. Well, yeah, Sunday Sunday at four against Cincinnati is how you're going to tell because this is the all-include, the dress rehearsal, if you will, for the regular season. I'm sorry to stick with a negative vibe for this recap, but the offense and the offensive line were offensive. We all know that the Browns' starting defense, especially the front seven, was going to be better than what they what they trotted out last season and better than what they've had in the, probably the last five or six years. 
They spent draft capital. They spent free agency money there. Our offensive line made them look like rock stars. And the play calling didn't do them a ton of favors. With McCarron under center, the offense really just couldn't get anything going to the tune of four straight three and outs. Now, you can split that blame up three ways. First, Chris, the wide receivers, no separation on the outside. Watching the game, the biggest window I saw available for McCarron to throw into was the very first play, and Kelvin Benjamin just missed it. He just missed catching that football. I don't think he missed it as much as he alligator-armed it. Well, it's a preseason. I get it. You don't want to extend, end up hurting yourself for when you get a, a game check. At the same time, you want to talk about play calling. The play selection it wasn't Dable's finest work. I mean, Chris, do you remember me yelling across the basement that I was about to take back every nice thing that I'd said about Dable the previous week? Yeah, uh, which game? Was this This was last, last week, week, not yeah. the week before, too? No. Because you lose your goddamn mind over <laughs> preseason football? I. It wasn't... I saw a lot of 21 personnel. Okay. That's almost, that's essentially an I formation. <laughs> Anything with, hey, we're going to bring in a fullback and we're going to put him out there with a running back, which makes no sense. No sense whatsoever, given the fact that LaShawn McCoy's running style is so unpredictable. After, I mean, you think about it, after about three steps, most of his runs, if there's no hole, even if there is a hole, he ad libs the majority of his yardage. So with that, you know, everyone wonders. We brought in Jerome Felton, who was a Pro Bowler. Now we brought in Patrick DeMarco, who was a Pro Bowl tight end. And guess what? We they, they, they've had minimal impact at best because you can't use a fullback to block for Lashawn McCoy. You can't because he won't follow that guy. He's a guy who trusts his own vision and his own speed and his own instincts to cut and move and get to where he needs to get to. Yeah, and he thinks he can make he can make people miss on his own. And he can. He, he, yeah. He's you don't need a fullback. Most... And so that's my point. I guess I don't see the point in trotting out all you know a, a stock personnel like you're loading the box by bringing in a fullback and not putting multiple wide receivers, getting any motion involved, tight ends moving around the formation. You're not putting yourself in a position to succeed. Maybe it was a test just to see if it would work, but it was a disaster, and it clearly didn't. I, I just didn't see any of the creativity, Chris, and that's what got me. And then the offensive line got handled on at least half of the snaps. I mean, McCarran never had a clean pocket to operate from. The running lanes really weren't there. All three quarterbacks took a sack from that offensive line, and they just, on most plays, even when, the, even when there was no sack, there was no quarterback contact, they just let too much pressure develop. Most alarmingly, in the A-gap, if you're starting three new players, including one who might be a rookie, you're trotting these guys out there, you can't let pressure come off the snap directly into their face. You're asking for trouble if that's what you're giving up. I I don't know. I mean, I think it's worth noting that Groy was working with Allen and Peterman was working with Bodine to start the game. That It's two weeks now that Bodine has struggled taking on defensive tackles both in the run game and the passing game. 
I mean, I, I literally, I firmly believe that Groy is in the driver's seat in terms of the center position at this point. I could have sworn I saw a tweet from Trainwreck Sports. They had a, a their own meme. Josh, and I don't know if it was against the Browns or the Panthers, but Josh Allen was like running for his life, and Bodine was in. Not blocking anybody, and there's a still of him just fixing his glove during the play. Like, just, just like the Undertaker. You know how he would just, like, pull the glove down on his hand? <laughs> Bodine was doing that during a play, not blocking anybody, and Allen is just running for his life. That is all I need to know, that Ryan Groy should be the starting center for the Bills. And even though Allen and Peterman finally got the Bills on the board and pulled out the W, it's worth noting that they, too, were under fire for most of the night. I mean, you saw Dable rebound, and some of the depth wide receivers and tight ends made plays, which spurred the comeback. But I feel like there could have been more accomplished with better offensive line play, which was a problem for the majority of the night. Some of Josh Allen's most impressive stuff came when things around him were just an absolute tire fire. And while it's fun to see that, <laughs> it, it makes for some highlight reel stuff, Chris, when a quarterback makes these amazing plays. It leaves me wondering what this team could be doing if their offensive line just operated efficiently. That's it. Just, just do the thing that you're sent here to do. Go block, Okay. Go do something well. There's no help coming. Okay? Not until April. This group is going to have their work cut out for them as we head into the 2018 season. I mean, if there's anything positive that I can bring up about the interior offensive line, or even the offensive line as a whole. Tell her. Why you tell her? From what I've seen, he hasn't had really many snaps with the second team yet. But Friday, he had 17 pass-blocking attempts and didn't give up a single quarterback pressure. His two-game total is now 54 blocking attempts and just one quarterback pressure allowed. For a rookie taken in the fifth round, Chris, I mean, that's, that's potential that I want to see what this kid can do if you move him up. Move him up. Give him, give him Sunday with the, with the twos. Sure. Vlad Dukas is nothing special. We all know this. John Miller, maybe he can come around. Otherwise, our guard group is nothing to write home about. If this kid can at least pass protect well, you might as well throw him in there and see what he's got. Because if it's nothing, then we'll know. But if it's something, at least then we have, you know, they spent a fifth round pick on him. I'd hate to see that get wasted hoping that he'll make the practice squad if he actually is as good as it seems that he is in pass protection. Because that's going to be a huge part of our offense this year, Chris. It's going to have to be. If he's this good, and give him time with the twos, and if he's going to play even better, you know, he might be able to give Allen maybe that one second to make some spectacular throw during the regular season. I mean, we got we need a legit like. Looking forward to April, you know, if our offensive line is this bad, we know where we're going first round next year uh, on the offensive line. Got to protect Allen. 
I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could spin it in terms of the draft. But in speaking of what's going on right now, Wyatt Teller's a guy who's interesting to me from just for the sake of I want to know if the kid has something. If he can be our swing guard as a backup this season, he might as well get a shot to go out there and try to prove it. Better because than, nobody else has done anything to differentiate themselves. He's better than that other... Who's the fifth-round pick that we took a couple years ago from Baylor? Oh, my that, God. He could run block, but he couldn't pass block. Some fat guy who uh, I'm gonna, uh, not going not, not, not gonna to be here anymore. That's what, that's what his name is. Yeah, if you guys know it, call in and let us know. <laughs> or tweet at us. We can't figure it out. So finally, on to some positives from the game. Marcus Murphy will be here week one. Before the Panthers game, Mario Granada of Hashtag Sports Night had a legitimate debate on air. To the backup running backs. I've been intrigued by Marcus Murphy ever since his 45-yard play against Miami at the end of last season. While Mario was of the opinion that options like these veteran holdovers, Travaris Cadet, Taiwan Jones, I mean, both of these guys have experience with McDermott and can play both special teams and offense. And were likely seen before the preseason as suitable backups behind Ivory and McCoy. Since the preseason started, Murphy has been everything I could have asked for. And in my opinion, there's no reason he shouldn't currently be seen as running back three on this roster. His yards per carry are a solid 6.7. And when you look at his just his athletic profile, when you watch him play, Chris, you saw him get a little shifty there when he needed to. When he needed to slip a tackle and maybe try to get that extra yard and a half, extra two yards, he has that wiggle to get, you know, he doesn't take a full, a full on tackle. He kind of slips away from it, edges forward, gets the ball out, gets those extra yards, lays out for it. He can run between the tackles. He can run outside the tackles. Uh, he, in terms of the running game, he's done everything that they've asked him to do. He also catches passes well, as long as they're not thrown into his kneecaps. <laughs> and to me, what might be the most important facet of him making this roster, McDermott has a boner for guys who can play multiple positions and contribute on both offense and special teams. That punt return against the Browns. Yeah, we, haven't had, we shown, haven't had one since Green Bay. The guy has shown that he's got chops. He's got some chops. Will he be a stud? Probably not. Will he be a guy that you can bring in and at least not have to worry about being a liability? Yeah, as long as you don't ask him to pass protect because he... Bl- Chris. Uh, Speaking of pass protect... He whiffed. Yes. Whiffed. On that pitch protection, well, he yeah. almost got Josh Allen killed. Well, yeah, on that Josh Allen touchdown, I think it was a miscommunication between him and. Now that I now that I look at it, and when I say now that I look at it, I mean uh, listen to Eric Turner over at Cover One. You could see that him that Murphy and Dawkins had the same idea to block the same person, and that's why that guy came open. And because I just googled it. Uh, who we were thinking about earlier from Baylor? It's uh, Cyril Richardson. <laughs> Cyril Richardson sucked. <laughs> That's why he's not here. That's why he's not here. But Cyril Richardson. Yeah, just he, another long, just a long, long, long another long. name on the illustrious list of uh, just Bills draft busts. God, well he was the fifth, so it doesn't uh, doesn't, <sighs> act, 
doesn't count as a bust, but it sucks when he leaves your team and doesn't make a practice squad anywhere else in the NFL. Yeah, that always sucks. Yeah, I know. At least Quanjo could do that, but Murph, Murphy didn't do a, a good job, you know, blocking. So did, same thing with Dawkins, but like what you said, if he's going to be the running back three, he could be a viable option as our punt returner, and he showed it. I just, I what on what I know is that he can do all things well. Cadets. The vanilla yogurt of backup running backs. Taiwan Jones has proven he can't hold on to the ball. And I will fucking riot if Marcus Murphy is not on this roster after cutdowns. The only question left for me is what kind of nickname can I come up with for him? Oh, and here we go, Chris. One of my favorite parts of the night. Cleveland Browns fans, welcome to the Tyrod Taylor experience. I, taught, I I had a couple tweets this morning with Nate Geary and Evan Silva because they were having a conversation about Tyrod Taylor and how you know what what he's going to be for the Cleveland Browns. My response is <laughs> Tyrod Taylor. I'm really happy. I'm really happy that this game got to happen in Cleveland where his own fans could watch him play. We talk about how the preseason means nothing. But they got to experience in week one good Tyrod. And I'm glad that we could show them every week Tyrod. Chris, Tyrod Taylor completed two passes to players who weren't running backs. Two. Both of those players were wide open. Off play action. I think I've heard this before. And... They both went for 22 yards. This is where he throws to people who are wide open, can't anticipate throws. I mean, you, you completed four passes for 22 yards. What, what, what does that even mean? I'll tell you what it means. And like I said, I'm glad Browns fans got to see it. Tyrod has been the guy who, if you like statistics, you can twist them any way you want in order to form a narrative. You know, you could say, hey, look at Tyrod's terrible completion percentage over the middle. Or look at how how inoften he throws the ball into the middle of the field between the numbers, which is where most yards after the catch materialize, which is why his numbers in that department were so low. You can also take stats that say, well, his QBR was always high and he has low turnover, so he must be a good quarterback. Well, guess what? What you saw out of him last Friday night is what you're going to get from him most of the time. He will make throws to receivers who are wide open. What he won't do, he will not go looking for Jarvis Landry when he's got a guy who looks like he's close enough to contest the catch. He won't throw the ball. Instead, he'll check it down to a wide receiver. I mean, it was a third and long play and he threw a screen pass instead of throwing down the field. Third and long, and you can get back in field goal range instead of punting the football. And 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 inexplicably, you check the ball down. That is who Tyrod Taylor is. Now, here's the conundrum for Browns fans. You could, I believe, I firmly believe, after watching Baker Mayfield play in this last game, that you could start him in the 2018 season. I'm going to need that for a Seagram's bet with uh, Jason Hicksonball. Here's the problem. Oh. If you're going to, because Tyrod Taylor, this is who he is. Who he showed you he is on Friday, that's going to be him every Sunday. 
There's going to be games where he does. Yeah, he slings the ball all over because of broken coverages. Wide open receivers are running around and he finds them. That's going to be great. But when a team decides to rush four and just blanket your backs and not pass rush, he's going to have a hell of a time not checking it down. That's why Pro Football Focus says that he has the best, oh, he has one of the highest third down completion percentages. Because everything goes to a check down or to a tight end or running back before the sticks. No good, no defense worth their salt is going to defend you after you play off coverage deep enough that a running back pass on third nine is going to get you a first down. Unless you have LaShawn McCoy. Yeah, he's, and, and the Browns don't have that. He's still trash. They should start Baker. Here's the thing. You start Baker Mayfield, you have to do so knowing that Todd Haley, because if you're Hugh Jackson, your job is depending on this season. So what I gave to Evan Silva and Nate Geary, and they both agreed that this is a plausible opinion. If you're Todd Haley, you you have to know that, hey, I've got this stable of wide receivers. I've got Josh Gordon. I've got Antonio Callaway. I've got Jarvis Landry. Against my better judgment, if I'm going to start Baker Mayfield, I have got to run the ball 40 times a game. I have a stable of solid running backs. They showed it throughout this game that they can rush the ball. And I said it last week that they had a talented group of backs. So it didn't make any sense that their yards per carry was so low. You have to have the understanding that we are, they have to protect him the way the Bills protected Tyrod in all of our wins by not asking him to throw the ball all over the place and instead letting our rushing attack do the damage. That If you play that way with the Cleveland Browns as they're currently set up, you might win some football games next year. If you trust Tyrod, you will be in trouble. And I'm glad that Browns fans got to see it in person. Sticking with quarterbacks. Quarterback recap from the game. A.J. McCarron. His first four four possessions. It's the equivalent of a wet fart. On a long road trip. The offense didn't manage a first down. By the end of it, he was injured. (laughs) He didn't fracture his collarbone, apparently. He will be fine. I mean, he was at practice doing handoffs. He wasn't throwing. I mean, I I don't fault him for a lot of this performance. There wasn't anything available. The wide receivers didn't get separation on the outside, and he didn't have adequate blocking. So... I mean, I'll, the only knock I can give him is that he held the ball too long, which has been a constant with him throughout this offseason. I mean, if even with this, hey, I can't play for a few weeks, it's possible he could be ready for week one. And maybe the team has seen enough of him in training camp and in practices that they're comfortable starting him with just one real training camp, uh, training camp preseason rep set of reps with the starting offense. I don't see why you but start him. I, I'm afraid I don't see that. It. I am terrified that that's not what's going to happen here. Nathan Peterman. I don't remember much after halftime, the first time I watched the game. So it's worth noting, I rewatched the game. First and foremost, Peterman's the only quarterback on the roster to have at least 100 yards passing in each of his games, regardless of what unit he played on. Keep that in mind, because (laughs) I don't want it to come off like I'm trying to bash the guy just for the sake of bashing him. He wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. He was something below average. I mean, even throwing the game-winning touchdown, 
It doesn't change the fact that the things I didn't like about rewatching his tape pretty much balanced out everything that I did. He proved to be really good at taking advantage of it. Chris, those intermediate routes, those quick passing routes, you know, the quick timing stuff that, hey, you're going to do a two or three step drop and just throw the ball. He was really good at that. And he got it out quickly, which negated the effects of the defensive pressure, which is what destroyed McCarron's drives. Just he had pressure all over him. A lot of the mistakes he made, though, are directly related to his football awareness. And that's what scares me about all these people who say, Nathan Peterman deserves to start week one. It's a killer. He went three and out on his first two drives. And the second series, it was directly his fault. He took a penalty for throwing the ball after he crossed the line of scrimmage. I haven't seen a Bills quarterback do that in years. I haven't seen a quarterback do that since Dan Orlovsky did it in Detroit, and he ran out of the end zone and threw it like he's playing in Canada. I mean, I, he crossed the line of scrimmage and had no clue that it was there, but still decided to throw the football. He could have just ran out and not taken the penalty and lost it down, but he had no awareness of where the sticks were. And then on the subsequent play, right after that, okay, he fails to recognize the pressure developing behind him and decides to take off and run probably about a full second too late and gets tackled for a loss of yardage. Those are drive-killing decisions. Neither one of the other quarterbacks have made those. They've both been able to feel pressure properly. They've both been able to navigate a pocket and figure out where they need to be on the field. After those first two drives went belly up, Daybold did a good job of giving Peterman. He went straight back to the playbook from week one. He gave him routes that would develop quickly, plays that were more, hey, timing. I'm going to take a three-step drop and just throw you the football. And you're going to be where I think you're going to be. That's all well and good. I mean, he got O'Leary the the touchdown pass. And that's a good throw. It's, uh, It's accurate. It's quick. It's out of the pocket. And blown coverage. But I'm He's not wide open. But I'm not thrilled by that quick strike one read offense. I'm not. I'm not thrilled by the fact that that's what it takes to get Peterman going and make him a valuable quarterback. You want your quarterback to be able to go through progressions, look at his one, look at his two, look at his three, maybe go back to one. And with most of the offense that Dayball's calling for Peterman, he's not. Chris Tom Brady is the best at the timing route and. You know, few step drop and pitch it out offense. His he's he's such a good quarterback. He makes his offensive line look really good because he just gets the ball out so quickly. And even he can't rely on that type of offense twenty four seven. He's got to mix it up. He's got to be able to read the field, stand in a pocket, and make decisions. So far, Peterman just hasn't looked like a quarterback that can do that. Okay. In the first two games, we play teams that finished in the top five of the NFL for takeaways last season. And in total, we play four that finished in the top ten. When we go through our first eight games. Good defensive coordinators will do their homework. And they will figure out, hey, if he's only doing a one-read, if this team's only running a one-read, quick-strike offense like that, then that's fine. We'll just flood the field with safeties and cornerbacks and your linebackers. We won't, try, we won't even try to put pressure on you. We'll just flood the field with pass, pass protectors, 
forcing you to hang on to the ball or just quick throw it into coverage. The downsides to both of those are either quick three and outs or a fuck ton of turnovers. Neither of which our team, I mean, Chris, let's face it. Our team in 2018 is going to be built on running the ball, playing good defense. You can't turn the ball over like that if you're going to win. And in my opinion, having to run the type of offense that it's going to take to make Peterman viable is not the answer for that. It's not. I think that this game, more than anything, almost sent him to the bottom of the pecking order in terms of who I would start week one. And that inexplicably brings us to this week's Hero of the Week, Mr. Josh Allen. I'm the man who has the ball. I'm the man who can throw it faster than fuck. Folks, Josh Allen checking into the game is where the entire night came off the rails for me. Any of you who saw our halftime video, and any, any of you who follow our podcast, I have disliked Allen throughout this entire process. And even though I've argued that a lot of the criticism of him since training camp kind of got off the ground has been ill-conceived and oftentimes biased i also have to make it absolutely clear i hated the idea of drafting him i hated it so much that when the pick came in i pretty much commandeered a bottle of rum from a jamaican resort bartender and at one point well north of two o'clock in the morning chris was just nude standing out on my hotel room's balcony, telling my wife that there was no point in putting clothes on because Josh Allen is our quarterback now. It's amazing that between picking Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds, who you liked that pick, in that space, you got too far gone <laughs> with that bottle of rum to even even care about Edmonds and what his ability brings at the linebacker position to just... Just go like I'm done. You, even though I I know in my own sober head I love this pick of Edmonds. You were too far gone on the Allen pick, and you're starting to come around, and I love it. Ugh. Says the guy who don't know a shit about football. I've been begrudgingly watching Allen as camp is camp in the preseason has gone on here, looking for cracks in the foundation that I can point to and say that I'm right. To say that it was a bad pick, that he's Kyle Bowler 2.0, and that we're all going to burn in the fallout of it. Like, like this was football's version of Dante's Inferno. So you can understand the internal struggle that I'm faced with right now as we're sitting here talking about all this. And I'm watching these football games play out in front of me. As I'm watching him grow as a passer, and I'm seeing what he's capable of, and I'm trying to fight that optimism that's just it's just taking hold in the pit of my stomach with a half bottle of vodka and a whole slew of high gravity 9% APAs <laughs> Friday night was the Jamaican resort night all over again but for very different reasons Chris this time it was despair it was just frustration because my inner cynic and realist is getting shit all over by this part of me that's an eternal Buffalo Bills optimist. Chris, you have seen me. I am what you would refer to as a manic Bills fan. You, just, you It don't take much for you to come off the rails. But here's the thing. 
I'm so passionate. I care so much about this team. I come into it every year with a sense of optimism. Otherwise, I wouldn't sign up for this. I wouldn't have season tickets for as long as I have. I wouldn't have sat through the things I've sat through, suffered through what I've suffered through, and I'd still be here if I didn't have a little taste of that manic, just unsuppressible love for this team and just a want for them to do well. The problem is, is that I was so cynical about Allen that I was like, well, this is going to suck and we'll just go back to being the Bills. And now I'm, it's starting, Chris. I can feel it welling up inside me. I like that. It it's, I like this is starting to come around. We all know, I don't know the ins and out of football, like at least you do. The one glaring thing I could tell between start one and start two, start one, there were maybe three three to five balls that he was just like, this is how strong my arm is. And on Friday night, I'm not sure he even threw a quote-unquote deep ball. No. A lot of his stuff was intermediate and short, although he did hit Marcus Murphy in the knees. I mean, I don't want to – it's not all pretty, folks. It wasn't all rainbows. His first two plays, Allen has a miscommunication with Kelvin Benjamin where he just throws the ball where he's not. And then he's got to call a timeout on the next play because he can't hear the play call. And on the sack he took, Greg Williams sends a corner blitz off left tackle. And unblocked. he was untouched. Unblocked. He was untouched. But that's Allen's fault. Allen got under center, completely miscounted the offensive, the defensive alignment in front of him, never saw that cornerback unblocked. A good quarterback would recognize it and shift protection that way. That's he, why he's a rookie. He never saw it coming. He just got under center like he was giddy and just said, all right, all right, y'all, let's snap this ball. And just had a had a face mask in his grill right off the snap. Really? That's his cadence? All right, snap this ball. All right, snap this mofo. Let's go. And then there's the pass on the wheel route to Marcus Murphy that hit him in the knees. Chris, you saw it. I took I took a knee in the It was like someone punched me in the stomach when I watched him throw that football. He put it right in his knees. Chris, how do you not, how is it that you can throw a ball over the mountains and you can't throw it three yards to a wide receiver's hand? It's baffling that, he, that like that happens. He hit him in the kneecaps, but then there were a couple throws where he just, Ugh. he just hit his target. It might have been, there. I think there may have been like two or three, like 10 to 15 yard passes, like a button hook. Just put it in the receiver's stomach, but he hits Marcus Murphy in the kneecaps? Well, that's I, it. I, I don't get it. I mean, I guess I'd say in terms of positives, you can't get excited about 60 yards. I mean, the but the Bills did score on all three of his drives. Me personally, like I said about the preseason, stats don't matter. I focus more on the nuances of playing the quarterback position, and I guess that's what got me so excited. And that's what's building this stupid stupid love of Josh Allen in my heart. You saw it on his touchdown pass. No, you, and you just hurt. on even throws before that. Crisp, accurately thrown out pattern to Andre Holmes. Okay? And then after the first down, he gets everybody to the line quickly, didn't like the play, and audibled out of it to a run play to Marcus Murphy that went for four yards. That's a veteran move. To Smart. Take, for a, for a guy who went on to not check the front and get sacked, just, just a simple, hey, that's a blitz, and the quarterback never saw it coming. 
He looked at a play and said, hey, I don't, I don't trust this. Let's kill, 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 kill. It's a running play. All right, up the gut to Murphy, four yards. All right, we live to fight another day. No negative plays. That was impressive to me. And in terms of his accuracy, Chris, much better than I anticipated, especially when he was given that series at the beginning, a mix of the ones and twos in terms of passing targets. I mean, I was genuinely impressed about the fact that when he sets his feet in the intermediate and short range, his accuracy looks really, really good. He was throwing past linebackers. He was throwing over linebackers. He was throwing to guys, hey, here's the point where I know he's going to be open, so I'm going to throw it and let him go get to it. He threw a couple of those passes, and it was nice to see. I say I like his, his touchdown pass, like, ne- like you know, because I produce and I go grab audio, and I sat there and I watched. You can watch it on NFL.com, Brian Baldinger's breakdown of that touchdown pass. You could see the miscommunication between Murphy and Dawkins on who to block. You got a free blocker, and he shifts away from this free rusher, protecting the ball, eyes still downfield, and then steps up in the pocket and hits Streeter for the touchdown. I think, and that's the thing, that play has been picked apart at least a thousand times by now. That's one of the things that's underrated about him right now. He takes pressure in his face, but keeps his feet active. That athleticism that I guess most of us didn't see coming allowed him to avoid a lot of the pressure, steps up into a dirty pocket, but he keeps his throwing platform level, has his feet under him enough so that he can deliver what is an absolute laser to the back. I mean, that ball wasn't a spiral. It fluttered a little bit. He just threw it so hard that it went in a straight line and hit Streeter in the chest. And Streeter came up with it for the touchdown. I mean, to know that you have a guy who under duress is so calm and yet doesn't get off balance from a throwing perspective, that's what's going to... Those are the wow plays. And that's one of the things, Chris, that I guess I look at by comparison to every other quarterback on this roster. There's no wow plays out of any of these guys except for... I mean, that pass by Peterson to Kelvin Benjamin in week one. That's a nice throw. And you just said Peterson. Peterson, Jesus. Peterman. It's it's that that's a good throw. It's on the money. It's a timing route. It's and we're talking good. about the one where he, where Benjamin killed that woman in the yeah. front row. Okay, good. But it's not a wow. Look at that throw. I've no. said that at least three or four times watching Allen play. That's where my heart on for this guy comes from. No, the fact that I've watched him play football and I can't take my eyes off the TV because he's making plays that make me go wow. Even though I hate, I hate the idea of him, Chris. And then another play that nobody's talking about. It was on his two-minute drill. The he snaps the ball. The right tackle gets, lets the D end push him past the pocket, and then he collapses things inside while Allen is still looking downfield. The kid never panics. He just kind of brushes him off. Doesn't see an available option. Chooses to run behind the running back, Keith Ford, using him as a blocker, and runs for nine yards. I mean, later on in that same drive, he pump fakes. Again, he's got a rusher in his face. He pump fakes in order to freeze the defender and then runs around him. 
And then runs for another first down. And then, because he went down in the middle of the field. I, I even forgot about this. It's just I'm looking at my notes. He spiked the ball and preserved enough clock for us to get a field goal on that drive. I'm sorry. He makes more plays, legitimate plays, than any quarterback on this roster. And that's what terrifies me and excites me at the same time. What I mean, terrifies and excites me is that when week one, he's the starting quarterback, I'm going to be torn on paying attention to Josh Allen in his first play from scrimmage in a real NFL game versus I got to get my phone out and take a video of Drew watching this happen live for the sake of the podcast. It's not going to be pretty. I feel gross saying it, and I'm going to need a shower once we're done with this podcast because I'm sick and tired of already already talking about Josh Allen. So why don't we hear from somebody who actually has a platform and everyone assumes knows what he's talking about? It's early, but of all the quarterbacks drafted in the first round, Josh Allen at Buffalo, to me, had the biggest whiff potential. I watched him at Wyoming. He was an overstrider. He was inaccurate. In that conference... You got to give Buffalo coaches credit. He no longer overstrides. He's cleaned it up. He has been the shock of the five first round draft pick. Everybody else has sort of looked like you think. Lamar Jackson looks a little anxious, a little overwhelmed. Darnold looks good, but a little reckless. Baker Mayfield, small and accurate, runs around. He'll make it in this league. Josh Rosen throws a beautiful football. Josh Allen has been shockingly good. I think he'll start week one. And you got to give Buffalo's coaching staff some credit here. He had crappy mechanics in college. I've watched him now play twice. They have completely cleaned him up. And he looks like he could be, give him time now, but he is, he throws the ball with real accuracy. Always threw it with zip. Now he's an accurate thrower. Couple months with his coaching staff. Colin Cowherd, The Herd with Colin Cowherd, Fox Sports Radio and FS1. He... He didn't think Josh Allen was going to be anything, and he's starting to come around just like you, and I love it. And that brings us to this week's Zero of the Week, and that award goes to wide receiver Jarvis Landry. Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. Screw that no-look-blocking fake tough guy, okay? He was at it again this week, and that's to be expected because he's an asshole. But then to watch him and his team cheer about it in a meeting like that, I mean, have fun celebrating it, you mushmouth hack. Good luck with your non-wide receiver utilizing quarterback. It'll likely be one of the last, that hit will be one of the last things that you have to celebrate this season. To hell with Jarvis Landry. You deserve to be in Cleveland. That being said, and it's something that, Colin Coward kind of just touched on. I kind of want to go over these uh, rookie quarterbacks for a second because a lot was made last week, especially by me, in regards to a number of members of the national media who gave their quote-unquote grades on how they felt each rookie quarterback to see playing time in their respective preseason games went about their business. I railed on it and singled out one person who honestly sounded like she had her head up her ass. It gave me a warm and fuzzy feeling to see so many rookies giving just significant playing time with the starters and second units, only to come back to earth exactly the way you'd expect a rookie to struggle, especially when you're going up against 
borderline actual NFL talent. I mean, Chris, to count it down, Mason Rudolph had two quarters. He was 5 of 12 for 47 yards, a touchdown, and a pick for a touchdown. Last week, one of the things that pissed me off the most was watching all these people buzz about Mason Rudolph and about how he, quote-unquote, didn't make any mistakes, even though he had two fumbles that were recovered by the offense. So I got a really good laugh out of the fact that the very first snap of his game for the Steelers against the Packers, he throws a pick six. It's not even so much that it happened. It's the way that it happened. He snaps the ball, stares down a wide receiver, and then throws a lazy out out route to the left-hand side as a right-handed quarterback. You have to know that starters with a first unit in the NFL, if you float that ball, you will be picked off. Safeties will eat your ass alive. And Tremont Williams didn't give a shit. He loved it. He took that thing like candy from a baby and walked into the end zone with it. It was easy. He gift-wrapped it. I mean, he threw it with no velocity against a starting NFL defense that's not going to cut it, and Rudolph just, again, a couple series with the starters, and he still looked way in, in way over his head. Sam Darnold, two quarters, eight of 11, 62 yards, one red zone interception. Darnold's interesting. He wasn't terrible. He was a lot of what he was last week, though. A quarterback who threw a lot of accurate passes that just didn't go very far from the line of scrimmage. When you think about the fact that his yards per attempt sit right around 5.3 for both games. And, I mean, it's not a shock. He has an accuracy percentage of 72.7. His quarterback rating this week was 48.3. I mean, it's... (laughs) It's funny looking at it in terms of last week he put up 103 yards. And everyone was like, oh, look at look at Sam Darnold. He looks the part of a number one quarterback. That he's not throwing the ball down the field. Okay? Now you could argue whether that's the coaches insulating him from downfield throws in order to protect him, or the player just choosing not to do it. But either way, it's worth noting that Chris, Josh Allen, that week one. Cannon, just taking shots. Like I said, a bazooka on Christmas. Yeah, you get it out of your system. Get throw it out of your deep. system. Throw these moon shots because we're going to give you that chance. Now we want to see you operate a real NFL offense. Now that you've gotten that proclivity to just try to throw the hero ball and see that it doesn't work, let's get to work on what you can do in the intermediate range. Now, according to a lot of the pundits who graded his game, uh, including Joe Caparoso from Turn on the Jets, he looked shaky when pressured, took two sacks, and threw a pick in the just the red zone, and I watched the pick. He might have made it over the linebacker to the intended target, but the intended target was blanketed. I mean, he had a guy draped all over him like a curtain. So I don't know if he's trying to draw a P.I. call or if he just genuinely wants to throw a ball to a guy who's 100% covered. Either way, it was a terrible decision. It wouldn't have resulted in a... And completion anyway. He's not a bum, but he wasn't a standout either, and he's clearly got some flaws to iron out in his game if he's going to be a successful starter in the NFL. Baker Mayfield was probably one of the most interesting because we saw him firsthand. Two quarters, 7 of 13 for 75 yards. No touchdowns, but also no sacks. In week one, everybody wanted to crown Mayfield king of the rookie quarterbacks. 
He threw 200 yards against the Giants' defense. Let me say that again. The Giants' defense. We also had that photo with the Rolls Royce and a actual Bengal. Oh, my God. I, I saw so many tweets where people were asking why. They were saying, look, this shirtless photo of him with a Rolls Royce and a Tiger. A Bengal. Pey- Peyton Manning should have taken a photo like this. Ben Ra- all the f- heavy set, unathletic, unc- like all the quarterbacks who look like your uncle at a picnic who's trying to play pickup basketball with the young kids with his rec specs on, that, those are the quarterbacks you should have taken photos like that. <laughs> After getting bumped up to the second string, Mayfield, I don't know, he just couldn't find the same windows against the Bills' defense that he did against the, the Giants, and he just didn't get the yardage or the production. Now, you could make the argument that we have a better pass defense. But last week, in week one, our reserves in pass defense got their asses handed to them by some guy named Heineken or Heineke or whatever the hell it is. Mayfield, ultimately, he flashed a little bit here and there. He avoided pressure well. It's, but it's a middle-of-the-road performance. That being said, I still think he outplayed Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> Chris, I, I, I just don't know how they're... I don't know how they're going to roll out Tyrod in 2018. I just don't. Well, yeah, Baker absolutely outplayed Tyrod. Unless you want to check down quarterback. Look, he's a first round. He's a first overall pick. Play him. <laughs> You're the factory of sadness. Just play him. <laughs> and then my boy, Josh Rosen. 10 for 16, 107, and a touchdown. Last week, the Cardinals' own team website outlined his struggles as a passer and basically said this kid needs to get his shit together. Now, by this point this week, he's now tied for Allen in what Pro Football Focus declares as quote-unquote big-time throws. They each have three of them this season. Now, that's what they declare a specific pass that illustrates elite-level passing skill. He also managed no picks or no sacks for two straight games, illustrating the fact that, A, it's what we saw in the draft. He knows how to navigate a pocket. I mean, Chris, you remember the run-up to the draft. The thing I loved loved about Josh Rosen was that in the pocket, he was a technician. You couldn't get your hands on him. It was like you're trying to catch a mouse in a phone booth. He just found a way to get away from pressure and keep his eyes downfield and deliver throws. And at the same time, he does so accurately enough that he doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot. So one of the noteworthy things is that whereas Darnold's been playing this small ball, Rosen's been throwing it downfield more often. Short area passing is always going to be his specialty because that's he's he's probably the most accurate. Rosen is probably the most accurate quarterback to come out of this draft. The question was, what does he do when pressure gets in his face and he's forced to make off-schedule plays? And that's what Darnold did well. That's what he did well in his preseason game. And that's what Rosen struggled with in college. I mean, he had a 49% completion percentage out of the pocket. But he's proven here through two preseason games that that's not a problem for him. He's learned. He's developed much along the way that Allen has. So it's, I mean, it's with Bradford ahead of him on the depth chart, it's unlikely he's going to get ahead. But he doesn't sound like he's a world beater either. And then Lamar Jackson, every every Bills fan's favorite quarterback pre-draft. But Bills fanatics, if you were to check out there, he's the truth. 
He's going to be the, he's the greatest. He's Muhammad Ali of the quarterback. What the hell are you talking about? He has athletic chops, but a quarterback, he is not. He is so overwhelmed. Not, he is so overwhelmed. I mean, they try to get funny. him. He's active when they get him on rollouts and designed runs, and he's got that big arm. But he's got a 41% completion percentage for the preseason. I mean, he's 18 of 43 through three games, averaging just 4.7 yards through the air per attempt. I understand that preseason stats are not gospel. But Jesus, this kid is bad. You watch the, Anybody who sat around to watch the Monday Night Football game, Luckily for me, I only caught a quarter of it. I mean, according to Chris, it was like bleach in the eyes. Oh, my God. Joe, Joe Tessitore, he, I, I think he was on the national title game with Alabama and Georgia. Probably. He's a fantastic play-by-play guy. If, don't listen to any of the national pundits out there that are talking about, like, oh, yeah, I like this. Burger McFarland and, and Jason Witten, they're yeah, they're great analysts. Like if you go to Deadspin, they had an article where Jason Witten uh with a video, he had no idea how to use a telestrator. And he he speaks his brain works too fast for him to speak. He'll start speaking and then he'll start stuttering, and by that time you've already he's already lost his credibility in his sentences, and then I guess in week one, uh all the t- all the talk is oh yeah, we're gonna put Burger McFarland in a crane. Cool. That's not gonna work. He's, they're both terrible. They say the obvious. They they legitimately had a conversation about Jacoby Brissett being a top twenty quarterback. He is a backup quarterback. He's between thirty two and sixty four. He is not a top twenty quarterback. Oh. I just gotta mute at that point. At that point, you just mute the Monday Night Football broadcast. Pull up the radio broadcast and just listen to that. I love that you're so passionate about how badly these guys suck, considering you sit here and listen to me just... just like, that's my deal, is I have to, like, <laughs> I have to... Like, yeah, you could... Like, Jason Witten sounds like he knows what he's talking about, but when you can't complete a sentence without stuttering, it takes away the value of what you're talking about, because you can't get it out in a complete sentence. You're You're stuttering. He's awful. Chris, do you think I could do the Monday Night Football broadcast? Yeah, if we have a sleeveless suit for you. <laughs> just, I could see you. I could see you just boxing out Tessator in the booth. <laughs> like you do me on our Twitter videos. You just box him out in a sleeveless, a sleeveless FUBU suit. I don't know if FUBU makes suits. But you just get boxed out. Like you just... Look at me, like look at me, look at a big man. Yeah, like, you, can't you at least you at least can say a complete football sentence from beginning to end without stuttering. Because as soon as you stutter, people like me, I'm like I don't think he believes what he's talking about. <laughs> I can I can just sense that. I get that with Witten. He's awful. <laughs> Ultimately, folks, the reason I bring all these quarterbacks up, there's ebbs and flows to every preseason. Especially in terms of rookies. They're young. They require the most development of any player drafted in a given class. I mean, would you consider, you think about it, the margin for error for a quarterback in any game is slim. I mean, you're talking about razor thin. 
And they, they have more to learn than any other player on the field. That, more than anything, is what you need to be paying attention to. Not the stats. Because if Tyrod Taylor's taught any Bills fan out there anything, it's that stats can be twisted to fit a narrative if you give it enough effort. But the development that takes place from draft night to the start of the regular season, that is the, that is the meat and potatoes of all of this. That's what this whole preseason is about. I don't think it's unfair as someone who thought drafting Josh Allen, Chris, Chris, I remember saying it to you on, on, when we had Wingfield on? I think it was one of the, when, when we were talking about Josh Allen drafting him, and I compared him to ordering, I said the team that drafts him will essentially be ordering a fried bologna sandwich from a steakhouse. Just based on how raw he was in college. To see where he is today, I mean, I, is that enough to start week one? I have no idea. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know anything about quarterbacks i don't i chris i am terrified to find out yeah a your ryan mallet argument and b what you heard in the cowherd clip earlier talk about coaching who coaches at wyoming head coach offensive coordinator quarterback coach they're nobodies he's getting real coaching in the nfl and he and he's accepting of that coaching and you see it in the games, and that's why you love him so much, and that's why you're going to get a Josh Allen jersey this season. Oh I can feel it. Oh, my God. I can, I, that might be a drunk purchase at the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, before we get to all that, we have something else to get out of the way. That's right. Bills versus Cincinnati Bengals. Okay? we got to get past that first, Chris. Time. 4 p.m. Eastern Standard. Place, New Era Field. Weather, probably hot, humid, muggy this weekend. I mean, this week we've had fall weather here in Buffalo. And, I mean, I was super comfortable walking into your apartment, Chris. I, yeah, I haven't turned on the air conditioning. I know, and it's super nice in here. My thing about the, we're having a home game, who's got our tickets? That would be Dan Moross. He's taking his child to his first ever Bills game. Oh, <laughs> I mean, we're playing the Cincinnati Bengals, Chris. The Bengals, they're, a, they're a, in a weird place as a football team with a lot of questions. Head I mean, coach, Montez I mean, Burfitt. Chris, their coach hasn't won a playoff game in his entire career, but he's held his job since before the Iraq War started in 2003, and he just got extended thus removing him from the hot seat and any real need to do better this year. Can I, right? well, uh, me, can I ask you one thing? Who else is a better coach that they've had over like the last... You could have had anybody! He gets wins in the regular season. They haven't had that since like the late 80s with, Good. with Sam Weish. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Chris... Good. Regular season wins, postseason losses, not a single. 14 years without a playoff win and you still have a job, that's a joke of a franchise. Well, you can get there. The team recently cut starting safety, Georgia Loca, and no one from fans to, to, to professional pundits who cover the team, nobody knows why. 
Didn't he already sign with somebody else? Oh, he signed in like two days with the Vikings. They traded for Cordy Glenn and replaced current Bill Russell Bodine with a promising rookie at center in Billy Price. And yet, like the Bills, had to wait until the second quarter of their first... Had to wait until the second quarter of their uh, preseason game on Sunday. I watched it against the Cowboys to get their first first down. And their first string offense has been completely toothless, despite the fact that they have A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert, and they have weapons. Croft, they have, they have weapons on offense. And yet they can't score a goddamn point. Let's just get a first down. Well, the fact that you just use the term toothless works because Cincinnati is basically in Kentucky. Well, and, and we know Kentucky, they don't have any teeth. And and that's that's the worst part, Chris. They play for a city that still considers Skyline Chili a regional delicacy, quote-unquote. Hey, it, Skyline Chili ain't that bad. I had it. You shut your mouth. That stuff is... I don't like... I don't like chili. Gener- I, on a general level, I do not like chili. But when I went to Cincinnati two years ago, remember we did we did a podcast live from the Microtel Inn. I had I brought all the stuff down to my hotel room. We connected on Skype, did a podcast that week. I had Skyline Chili, and I don't eat chili, but I felt like I had to have it because that's a Cincinnati thing. It wasn't that bad. Chris, a little a little weird that you you put you put spaghetti with it, but Chris, not that bad. It it's cheese and onion covered trash gravy. That's what it is. It's trash gravy. Well, they serve it with spaghetti. I I don't give a shit whether you eat it three-way, five-way. There's only one way you should be ingesting Skyline Chili. And this is the last meal before the electric chair. In hopes that it kills you before the 3,000 volts get a chance to. (laughs) That's it, Chris. Skyline Chili's terrible. not that bad. I mean... Andy Dalton and Tyler Boyd are the only redeemable things about that entire franchise in my eyes. I mean, the only reason Ohio has two football teams is because Kentucky won't take Cincinnati. Probably because of the chili, Chris. Probably because of the chili. (laughs) Oh, it just makes me angry. With that, the storylines we're going to be watching for in this week's preseason game, which is effectively the I, Chris, this is the dress rehearsal typically for a franchise. And I think the plot thickened a little bit with McDermott's announcement of Josh Allen as the starter early on in the week. You know, usually they, Hey, we're going to pick it a day or two in advance. He picked Josh Allen early and claimed that he did it because he wants to simulate what a full week of pressure is going to be like. What a full week of allowing the other team to game plan is going to be like. You don't exactly game plan a whole lot. I know it's a, you don't? I know it's the dress but rehearsal. But you don't, but you'd a, be stupid not to look at film of what a quarterback has done through his two other starts. Especially a rookie. Because he's probably the most likely to lean back on his tendencies. So the fact that they're doing this, this is not just a dress rehearsal for the season. This is Josh Allen's, hey, you want this job? Go get it, kid. Here's the ball. (laughs) Do what you do. And I am terrified. So the things that we're watching for this week, front seven play, first and foremost, 
Through two games, our run defense has been completely Jekyll and Hyde. Jekyll and Micah Hyde. Against the Panthers, they looked strong. They filled gaps. They did everything they needed to. Against Cleveland, they looked lost for that entire first drive. I don't care whether they figured it out after the fact. That one drive could cripple you for an entire game. They, I mean, that's it. I'm going to need to see a few things out of these guys. First and foremost, Tremaine Edmonds. He's got to show some consistency. He's teased us all preseason with these flashes of potential, these, this talent that he has in coverage. I mean, think about it. No one's completed a pass that I've watched over Tremaine Edmonds. He's In coverage, he's been so athletic that he's where you need him to be at all times. When you say in coverage, okay, who played Carolina week one? Yep. They still have Greg Olson? They do. Did he play? I have no idea. Because I don't remember it? I have no idea. And the fact that Tyler Eifert's a what young I know tight is, end? Chris, what I know is a beer-drinking, screaming-at-the-TV Bills fan. That would be you? If if a pass had been completed over Edmonds, I probably would have yelled about it. I can't recall an instance of that. And, Consider- since, and since I've been sober at least until halftime of every single one of our, or at least sober enough to know what's going on until halftime of all of our games so far... I think it's safe to say he's been good in that facet. Now, I think that his issues taking on the run are something we're really going to have to worry about because he's a middle linebacker. That's your job. You're an athlete. You're doing what athletes do. You're getting out in space. You're doing the things you're comfortable with. You need to learn how to come downhill with not just authority, but also a little bit of tact, a little bit of decisiveness. When it comes to just, you know picking out, sniffing out where the run's going to be and snuffing a run play out, because that's what elite linebackers do, Chris. Yeah, the Cincinnati don't. They don't have a. They have a middle of the road run game. Joe Mixon and I don't care about stats. I don't care about what they produce on the ground. What I care about is are our guys where they need to be when they need to be there, and that's what Edmonds is going to have to show me. To the defensive line. Lotulale, he's got to impose some will. I mean, we signed him here to be a space eater in the middle of our defensive line to keep our linebackers clean and let them make plays. He hasn't been awful, but that whiff on the sack against Tyrod and the fact that I just haven't been wowed by his ability to take on double teams in the rushing attack. When you think about, especially with the injury to Kyle Kyle Williams, we have to see Star Latula come on here. I mean, if, if anybody can light a fire under his ass, Carolina Panthers fans, when we signed him, trashed the signing and said the Bills overpaid him and that they knew that he had kind of given up on football, that he was lazy, that he didn't, he wasn't as authoritative as he had been. God help us if that's the player we just signed to a long-term deal. This coaching staff needs to be able to light that fire again underneath his ass and get him moving. And I need to see it in this week's game. Otherwise, I'm going to go into week one just assuming he's going to be just another fat guy who gets pushed around. And defensive pressure, that's going to be the biggest one. The Bills in 2017 didn't have good sack numbers. I think it made, you think about those games that were close. Those games might not have been so close if we could have gotten a sack or two, forced a three and out earlier in the game. 
I mean, we just weren't good at it, which is why we went out and spent money on a defensive end named Trent Murphy. We thought he was going to be the answer to the pass rush, okay? Murphy hasn't seen the field for most of training camp. So I have no idea what to expect from this guy or whether or not he's ever going to be able to contribute to this defense. And our reserves haven't been stellar. I want to see what our defensive ends are capable of in more than just a few series. Let's get them going. Let's get them seven or eight series. Let's see as they rotate through these DNs. Not because we know Jerry Hughes can bring it. Who else? Who else is going to contribute at defensive end? Shaq Lawson. Step up. Okay. Well, this is the thing. He's been solid against the run. He's he's illustrated that he knows how to play passes in the air, that he can bat balls down. Can you rush the passer? Because if not, then you're a one to two down player in the NFL, and I don't know that you're long for this roster. You'll probably survive as long as Trent Murphy is Glass Joe from uh, Mike Tyson's Punch Out. But Jesus, yeah, I'll be looking at I'll be looking at Lawson on Sunday, and then since Kyle Williams ain't playing, uh, Adolphus Washington, you know, you're gonna get a little bit more reps, you know, to prove that you need to, that you want to stick around. And then you look at the offensive line. That's a place that this team needs. Friday against the Browns and week one against the Panthers. One of the most glaring things that really stood out to me was just subpar offensive line play. This week is the last week to fine-tune your starters in terms of getting them ready before playing a game that really matters. Chris, here's what I want to see. Well, I was going to ask you this. How irritated are you going to be knowing that Josh Allen's a starter and then we roll out their first series and it centers Bodine? It won't be. They already announced Groy as a starter. They did? I didn't. See, that's why you follow this shit more than I do. This is my point. Neither of these guys, Groy versus Bodine, is my very first point here. Neither players look like a pro bowler this preseason. One of these guys has to land the starting job, though. In Cincinnati... Bodine was a starter for four years, and that team was like, hey, you know what? Get the hell out of here. We'll take our chances with a rookie instead of you. He did more harm to his chances than good this past week against Cleveland. I mean, I know that they've kind of buddied him up with McCarron because it makes sense. They both played for the same team. There's some familiarity there. Bodine was nothing. He was bowled over. and I mean, he got manhandled in every phase of the game. Groy wasn't exactly mind-blowing, but he was steady. This is the last chance for either of them to prove that they deserve that number one job, and I, it's coming against a really good defense. And there's me, there's me showing you right now. <laughs> Bodine. It's a Thursday against Cleveland. He's showing me the picture. My guy Bodine standing here fixing his gloves while Allen is running for his life. <laughs> Jesus. There's literally a play against Cleveland where Allen is running in, in the pocket and Bodine not blocking anybody. He's just fixing his glove. Looks like the Undertaker, you know, pulling down on his glove on his hand. Just not blocking anybody. I just, I have no use for that guy. He's like tits on a ball. Get him out of here. Ground production from the starters on our offensive line. Marcus Murphy has been a spark plug for the Bills on the ground. And 
he's put up those numbers, though, against second-string front sevens. In terms of our starters, the rushing numbers have been shit. McCoy and Ivory are both under three yards of carry. They have, I mean, last week, 16 yards on seven attempts. You could say it's lack of usage, but it was just brutal. It's just been brutal to watch our starters try to run block. Now, maybe that's a, maybe they're hiding their plans like Greg Roman style. Hey, we're not going to give you anything to what our actual rushing attack is. But even with that, you have to produce something. McCoy is now day-to-day, so the team's going to be monitoring his snaps, and I, I don't think he'll see, in, in my opinion, you put him in bubble wrap. You don't play McCoy again until week one. You don't. Regardless of who is running behind the offensive line with the starters, you have got to see more push. You've got to see these guys get up and execute on a routine basis, Chris. I, I can't stress it enough. This is the crux of our offense. This is where we're going to live and die no matter who is under center. No matter who. It's going to be the rushing attack that carries our offense this season. And if they're going to be anything, we have got to see better run blocking. You can't see centers getting bullied into the backfield on a run blocking attempt. You know where you're going, and the defensive tackle doesn't know whether you're going to be dropping back into a stance or whether you're coming at him. So the fact that even when he doesn't know, he can still punk you, that's horseshit. Chris, this is JV-style offensive line that I've seen out of our team compared to what we've seen over the last three or four years. And that's a problem. Well, I'm Googling, I'm Googling it right now because I can't think of the guy's name, and I feel bad as an Auburn supporter, who the Bengals picked. At linebacker or defensive line that went to Auburn. Sam Hubbard? No. La- played last year. No, I have Carl. Carl Davis? Carl. I can't. It's, I think it's Carl something. Whatever his name is. Okay. Well, he's one of the, the Bengals' top D line slash linebacker. So that's going to be some kind of matchup I'm going to be watching. How many snaps is this guy getting? What do our starting offensive line look against? look like against them because I, I they need, need to, to stop. Our, I need to see our They ones, need to stop something. I need to see our ones look Carl like Lawson. Ones. And then in pass protection, okay, you want to talk about Cincinnati. Under, under their former defensive coordinator, Paul Gunther, since his defense was heavily predicated on rushing the passer with just four players, they left a lot of linebackers in coverage. Per, what is it, football outsiders, his team last season was number one in the NFL in the number of times that he sent just four pass rushers. Now they have defensive coordinator Terrell Austin, formerly of the Detroit Lions. This guy believes very much in the idea of big blitzes, meaning six or more pass rushers. Josh Allen is going to be starting this week under center. This is a line that's proven that they have been, to this point in the preseason, a sieve in terms of pressure. Now you're going up against a defensive coordinator who has good defensive linemen like Carl Lawson, like uh, Carlos Dunlap, and he's going to send extra blitzers. A lot. He likes to do it. Hopefully our line is prepared for this. Because last week, against the Browns front seven, they, the quarterbacks all were frustrated by pressure. Nobody had a clean pocket to work from. And they were harassed. 
the entire game. Chris, this has the potential to become a nightmare game if we allow it to. If our offensive line just doesn't gel between last weekend and what we see this weekend. I mean, this facet of our offense is going to be paramount to our success in the regular season. You've got to keep your quarterback upright. Chris, the first five weeks of the season, we faced three defenses that finished top ten in sacks. Tennessee, Baltimore, the Chargers. Think about it. Terrell Suggs, Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram. Tennessee, I don't even know who their pass rushers are, but apparently they just get it. They get after it. Our interior line has got to show that they can handle this kind of pressure, and our tackles have to show that they can. you got to man the post. That's it. All hands on deck. The submarine's diving, the, the siren's going off. This is it. It's go time. You have to prove that you can handle this. Because if not, this season is going to be a fucking long one. I mean, any offensive coordinator can try to game plan around pressure and around different things, but these guys got to show that they can hold their own, Chris. That's it. That's what it comes down to. Sink or swim. You're in the deep end of the pool now, assholes. Get to treading water. And then the quarterback competition. Josh Allen with the one. I hate even saying it. Oh, you hate you hate the fact that the quarter the you don't like our you didn't like our quarterback out of college. It's the most polarizing position on the team. We have to talk about it, and he's exceeding your expectations. And it Everyone's makes, expectations. It makes you, it, not ex- exceeding my expectations, this is making you mad. I'll chew the neck off this bottle, Chris. It's, it's making me incredibly mad. Because I have the gut feeling that this team wants so badly for him to be the guy. He is the guy. Ugh. I know it, and I knew it pre-draft, post-draft, right now, Sunday. So this is it. This is what we're watching. We're watching Josh Allen go out there with the first string offense. And we're going to watch him go out there and try to orchestrate something. If he falls on his face, if he just absolutely belly flops into this, then I will know, I will know in my just cold black heart over here when it comes to football that I was right and that he's not ready. And that they should look elsewhere for a starting quarterback in 2018. If by some chance, and I mean some, some ridiculous chance, he comes out and orchestrates drives and looks like he deserves to be the starting quarterback of this team. Chris, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I don't know. Maybe a lot of bullet rye whiskey. Some beers, IPAs. I'm going to be in a fantasy draft. There's going to be a fist fight. Yeah, we're not watching the game together. Because you got a fantasy draft, I also have a fantasy draft. I just I, I just feel like this game has disaster written all over it. I'm terrified. It's a dress rehearsal. That's what, it, that's what it is. Drew, cheers it. I commend you for your ability to perform in the show tonight. Under the circumstances between you 
and your wife. I think you nailed it. Chris, I appreciate that. Guys, listen, regardless of what happens on Sunday, the sun's going to come up. Okay? It's going to come up tomorrow. Somebody's going to be the number one quarterback of this football team. Nathan Peterman. Maybe it's him. Maybe McKay. I mean, all, all of my criticisms aside, the, you know, the hatred of his reliance on one read offense. I mean, that will gas your defense if it doesn't work. If you rely on just a timing-based offense with one read and just, hey, you're going to throw this timing route and it doesn't work, you're, you're going to see a lot of three and outs. Your defense is going to be gassed. You don't win football games that way. But we also only throw the ball 20 to 25 times a game. As we should. So maybe that'll work. In the case of McCarron, maybe he's done enough. I don't know. I have no idea. Because, he hasn't. Because he only got a moment with the starters. And I genuinely believe that their plan was for him to start this game. But that's not the way that you have to play, as we all find out in life. You have to play the hand you're dealt. And that's what we're doing here today, talking about Josh Allen starting with the number one offense come Sunday. Guys, this has been, I, I don't know what to expect. It's, I'm going to be on the edge of my seat the entire time. Thank you so much for showing up tonight, guys. For everyone who downloaded the podcast, we appreciate it. Make sure you check out Wise Guys Pizzeria. Is, I mean, they've always been good to me. Jay and I, you know, we have a long-standing history going back to when we did that show in his shop. Why don't you check out his check out their stuff if you haven't? www.wiseguysbuffalo.com. Chris, guys, email us rockpowerreport 716 at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts on what you think about Sunday's game, and we're gonna talk about the best emails we get. Best game day reaction emails we get. We're going to read on the air. Or tweet at, it, tweet at us, <laughs> at Rockpile Report. Guys, thank you so much for just giving me this and for being here with me tonight. I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rockpile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.